So we're here from Southern Cross Ministries. Uh, like Scott said, it is a long way over here. It took us about 31 hours, all told, to get here. Uh, but we are happy to be here. We're happy to see family and friends and to be able to visit with home churches. So it's really nice to be here at Samantha's Home Church. Uh, Southern Cross Ministries is a ministry with two families. Uh, we have my parents, uh, who you'll see up on the slide. They've been doing mission work for 25 years now, so most of my life. And uh, they've been in Australia for 15 years now, so since 2003. <coughs> Samantha and I, you don't see a picture of us, but we're here, I promise. This is me, and she's over here waving. Uh, and we have two young boys, so if you see a couple boys running around causing trouble, they're probably ours. Uh, but we have been in Australia now for nine years. We live in the city of Toowoomba, which is a city of uh, about 165,000 people. You see here, this is just a picture of one of the suburbs in our city. So it's really sprawling, it's spread out, it's a, it's a big place. It's a big home to agriculture. It's a big home to education. We have a couple of universities there. Uh, there is a lot happening in Toowoomba. Uh, if you want to know more about our ministry, uh, you can visit us at edcoc.net. That's for Eastern Downs Church of Christ. That's our church website. And we have a couple of other websites that link in with that if you want to know more. You can also sign up for our newsletter, uh, or you can call us at this phone number. Now, this phone number right here goes through the internet, and it actually rings in Australia. So please look at your watch and know that we are 14 hours ahead. So please take note of that. We've gotten a few 3 a.m. phone calls, and uh, unless you want to hear, hello, find the right time to call. <laughs> but we would love to hear from you. And if you want our email, um, come and ask me, because that I can't hardly read that on the slide there. So... Um, we have another picture of our website up here, and that's some of the lessons we do. So if you want to actually see the kind of things that we preach and teach about over there, go ahead and download one of our lessons, and you'll be able to see exactly what we're teaching. Uh, but most of all, I just want to say thank you. Uh, it's really nice to be here. It's wonderful to be supported by you guys. It's always uh, so encouraging, especially for Samantha to know that her home church is behind her. So thank you very much. This morning, uh, I want to talk to you about the coming year and the previous year. It's been a wild year in Australia. I don't know what it's been like here, but it just seems like every year things get stranger and stranger and stranger. Uh, things in Australia are just getting weird. Uh, things that had been unheard of in the past are now going through legislation and People are praising it like it's a wonderful thing. Things that just a few short years ago would have seemed like crazy. We live in strange times. I'm sure that all of you have thought at one point or another during your life about, wow, what a weird time we live in. Things are never ideal. But our world that we live in now is one that's so full of distraction. It's so full of entertainment. It's so full of pleasure and things that we want and like. Uh, our needs are so easily fulfilled for the most part. I mean, the things we need, man, we don't even think about those things. And so the things that we want, those become even within our grasp. And so we work hard to 
attain those things and we work hard to get a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more until we're so busy running around doing all these things that we don't have time for uh, thinking the big thoughts in life like where did this world come from why am I here what is my purpose in life and for your New Year's resolution, I don't know if you guys do those things. I usually do pick up a couple to do for the new year. But as part of your New Year's resolution, if you do them, maybe think about finding a quiet place just, you know, a couple times a week to sit and actually think about these big questions. Because these questions have been debated by theologians and scholars throughout the ages. The questions like the meaning of life are timeless. And you know what, church? We have the answers. Today, I want to focus on the book of Acts. And specifically, I want to look at chapter 17, and we're going to look at verses 26 through 34. Now, the book of Acts is my favorite. Uh, I don't know if you guys have a favorite book, but I love the book of Acts because it is exciting. There is always something happening. Somebody's being dropped out of a window, or somebody is being beaten up here, and they're going on anyway, or miracles are happening. People are converting. It's awesome. It is a great book. And I think in all of the book of Acts that this story right here might be one of my favorites. It's the story where Paul sees the, uh, the idol to an unknown god, and he uses this idol to an unknown god to tell these people about the one true god. And the thing that he starts out with is creation. Acts 17.26 says, He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all of the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling places. So the first thing that we see is that God created one man. And from that one man, he created every nation that roams on the face of the earth. Just think how much hatred and racism and bigotry could be solved by acknowledging that one fact that God created all of us. We're the same blood. We're the same family. Uh, when I say that in Ohio, it's a lot more true than it is right here, but we're all one family. And, you know, prejudice and racism and that kind of stuff isn't unique to us now. Uh, this was just as big of a statement for Paul in these days as well. By and large, the Jewish people did not like the Gentile people. They saw them as dogs, as sinners, as heathens, as fundamentally less than the Israelite people. And this wasn't always the case. We see in Deuteronomy that God says in Deuteronomy 10.9 that they are to treat outsiders with kindness and with care and with, you know, respect. But in the day and age that Paul lives in, we know that this isn't the case. We see this in the way that Peter, even an apostle of Jesus Christ, is eating with the Gentile peoples. But then the Jewish people come along, and all of a sudden he backs off from the Gentile people. And then Paul has to oppose him to his face. We read that. And then we know in the story of the Good Samaritan, we see that uh, the Samaritan ends up being the good guy, and boy... The Jewish people don't want to hear that from Jesus. That's no good. We even see that in the early church in the way that the church is finding its place and the Gentiles are coming in and the Jewish people, they, they just keep trying to make the Gentiles just a little more Jewish, just a little more Jewish, you know, except circumcision, except all these little things to make them a little more like them. But yet from one man, 
every nation has come into being. And so Paul, he gets there with these people, and he, he says, you know, we're from one place. The only thing that separates us is that I'm from this place over here. You're from this place over here. We've been determined in a lot of different places in life to live. That's all that separates us. I think we can learn a lot about evangelism by the way that Paul does this. He doesn't, you know, preach at them from, oh, you guys are all heathens and sinners and dogs and you need to come up to where I am. No, he, he says, I am the same. I'm one of you. I'm in this with you. So I don't know the ways that God determines and allots our places in life. We do read that here, that he allots our places in life. And I don't understand how the God of the universe, uh, how his machinations just make everything happen. We know that he works through time and through people and through circumstance to bring Jesus Christ into the world. We celebrated that just this last week. And that, that idea, that thought is just too big for me to understand. But I do know that God has put me here in this place, and in this time. And so if he has put me here, if he has put you here in this time and in this place, then there has to be a reason or a purpose. And we know that purpose. That one purpose is that we might seek after God. Acts 17, 27, the first part says that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. I love that imagery of feeling and our way towards him. I think we can see this idea in other scriptures as well. Matthew 7, 21 through 23 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. God has put us here in this time, in this place, wherever you are, that we would seek after him. I know that's really different from the way that the world thinks. In a lot of ways, that's different than we as Christians sometimes think. I know that I had a Christian friend come to me just recently, just really upset over what is my purpose. But I think the problem was... We don't think of that purpose as for what God wants in our lives. We think, oh, God, what do you want me to do? <laughs> what can I accomplish with my life? What can I have so that I will feel most fulfilled in my life? What can I do that I will have the sort of standard of living that I would really like to have? <sighs> Instead of asking God, how can I? serve you best. Lord, how can I become closer to you? Because at the end of the day, all this other stuff is just, it's just dust. It's meaningless. Our, the thing that matters is that we have gotten close, that we know God. And you might be thinking, well, if God wants me to seek after him and to find him, why is it that I feel so far away? Why is it that when I try to serve him that people just kind of brush me off? Uh, just, you know, a few weeks ago I was having my hair cut, 
And, uh, you know, there's less of it up here, but I like that they work with this down here. So I go to the barber, and he, you know, he does the straight razor. I, I like all that. And we got talking, and we had a lot of things in common. I really like uh, traveling, and he liked history, and so we had a lot to talk about. And, you know, as these conversations do, eventually it came to the, oh, well, what do you do? And, you know, I don't know if you know my work situation, but I work two days a week for a school, and then I work the rest of my time for the church. And so I, I could have just told him, oh, well, I work for a school, and, you know, things would have kept going as they had been going. But, you know, I thought, that's not real honest. So I said, you know, I work part-time for a church, and I also work as a teacher. And when I said that about working for a church, you could see that little bit of distancing, the little bit of glazing over the eyes, the extra politeness then in the rest of the conversation. Why is it that when we try to tell other people about Jesus Christ, we feel so far away? We know to an extent why that is. Uh, in Genesis, we see that uh, Adam and Eve are placed in the Garden of Eden, and they get to walk with God. God is there with them in the garden. And the only thing they have to do is walk with God and be with God, and they have to tend the garden. They have to not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's it. And yet, we know the story. They went ahead and they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And I, you know, I can't be too hard on them. I know that in my life that I know the right thing to do, and then I don't do it. I sin, and you know what? Then I feel far away. But you know, it's great that it's not all about my feelings. Acts 17, 27, the second part of that says, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. So even though I can feel far away, he has put us here so that we will feel our way towards him and find him. Acts 17, 28 says, For in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Even if we don't recognize it, even if we don't acknowledge it, it is in him that we live and we move and we have our being. Just earlier in this chapter, it says that in him is our very breath. So as you sit there and you breathe in and you breathe out, you know that God gives that to you. It is in him that we live and we move and we have our being. Even when Adam and Eve sinned, we see that he clothed them. We see that after all they did, that even after he knew that they had sinned and they, they were going to die now, he made a plan to bring us back to him. He decided then and there to give us Jesus Christ on his death and his burial and his resurrection so that we would know him. And yet as people, we try to make him less uh, the people of Athens, they made their gods into idols. So they made them into stone and into wood and into bronze and all these graven images. And Paul says, how can you take the God, the creator of all that there is, and make them into this little statue? That is wrong. And yet, in our society, you know, we think, oh, yeah, idols, that's silly, that's nonsense. But in our society, we don't seek after God. We seek after ourselves. 
So we seek pleasure. We seek entertainment. We seek uh, opportunities in the workforce to make us feel good. And in most of society, we have gone to this place where we don't, we don't just not seek after God, but we have decided that God doesn't even exist, that he's not real. He's a figment of our imagination like Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny. And so people are walking around outside living lives that are unfulfilled. Suicide rates are higher than they've ever been. Alcohol and drug abuse is through the roof. We wonder why that is when we deny the one purpose we have in life, to seek after God. We deny that he is even in existence. Paul goes on then to tell the people here that God will not overlook ignorance for long, that that is no longer going to be an acceptable excuse. Jesus Christ has come. He has died on the cross. He has bled. He has been buried. He is resurrected. And when he's coming again, it's judgment day. And when the people heard this, what do you think they did? They say, oh, yeah, well, we repent. We change our ways. What happened here? They mocked. And is it, are any of you surprised by that, that they mocked? I mean, it's the same way today. Today in our society, you can believe pretty much anything. You can believe you're a cat, a rat, a dog, of what, whatever. It doesn't really matter. But as soon as you believe that Jesus Christ is real and that he came and he died for our sins on the cross and he's raised and he's coming again and that he's going to judge the world, you better forget about that because we don't accept that. Acts 17, 32 through 34 says, Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined and believed, among whom were also Dionysus the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. So when people heard, they mocked. But what else happened? Some believed. Some wanted to hear more. And... You know, that's what it's actually about. It's not about the ones that will mock. It's about those few that will believe. 1 Corinthians 9.22 says, To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Luke 15.10 says, Just so I tell you there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Matthew 22.14 says, For many are called but... Few are chosen. When we look at Paul in this chapter, we see that he's not even in Athens for the purpose of preaching the gospel. He's just in Athens waiting for Silas and Timothy to catch up with him. And so while he's sitting around wondering what to do, he, waiting on them, he sees that there's a lot of idols around. So he sees these idols and he thinks, you know what, I'm going to go teach in the synagogue. And so he goes to the synagogue and he starts teaching in the synagogue. And somebody notices him there and he says, hey, I like what you're saying and I want you to say more about this over here at the Areopagus. And so he goes over to the Areopagus and he talks to them and he preaches to them. And man, he tells them about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how they can be saved from their sins. He's ready because he knows that from one man we all came. He knows that we have one purpose to seek after God, and he knows that this might be their one chance to get to know Christ. 
And he knows that ignorance will not be an acceptable excuse anymore. So even though I'd love to see the, uh, the big masses that came in on the day of Pentecost, boy, wouldn't that be exciting? Thousands to repent in one day. Man, that would be great. But in this world that we live in, a world that isn't just uh, disinterested, but actively uninterested and hostile towards Jesus Christ, I don't think I'm going to see that anytime soon. But it's not about that. It's about that one person. Just because the masses won't respond, does that mean that I give up? Do I say, oh, well, it's too hard. Oh, I know that, you know, probably if I tell this person, well, they're not going to respond, so I'm not even going to, I'm just going to keep quiet because, you know, that, that's easier. Or do I look at myself and do I think, what can I do to be better effective? What can I do that I can say something for somebody's life and I can talk to them and build a real relationship so that maybe they'll take me seriously? We need to take these opportunities because ignorance will not be an acceptable excuse. Romans 1, 18 through 20 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. When we look at creation, when we look at the majesty all around us, I think we know that there is a God. Just this last week, Samantha and I were hiking in uh, the foothills, uh, the mountains in North Carolina and Tennessee. And man, you look out on the majesty and see the snow-capped mountains all around you. You can see into North Carolina and Tennessee and West Virginia. It's extraordinary. And you think, this can't be an accident. There has to be a God. And yet we look at the world around us and we see all the brokenness. We see the sin. We see the death, the suffering, the just terrible state that the world is in. And we think, man, this is not how it's supposed to be. You know, the people out there see that too. They look at the world around them and they say, how could a loving God, how could he put us here in this mess? And you know, church, we have the answers for those people. We know that through one man, all the nations came to be. We know that the reason that things are messed up, we know that God is an avenger and he is ready to come back. And we know that there's a hope for the future because we have Christ. We know that we have one purpose, to seek after God and to, to daily just grab after him, to feel our way towards him. And we know that there is one last chance for everyone around us. So church, my question for you as we come into this new year, are you going to resolve with me to give people this one last chance or will we let it pass us by let's pray heavenly father we thank you for 
this opportunity that we have to be with other Christians, to be together, to, to serve you, to love you. Lord, we have a world out there that is dying in its sin. Our brothers, our sisters, we know we all came from the same place. They are equal with us, and yet they don't know you. And Lord, we want to give them that purpose of seeking after you so that they would find you and find peace and love and comfort. Lord, we just pray that we would take that chance to lead them to you. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.